Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. I think by October, we're going to see all of these theaters, even maybe even earlier, um, up and running. And we're going to see the restaurants um, will then start to come to life and will not be more than just open. They'll be full and people on the streets. And it's, it's, it's all going to build with uh, greater momentum as the season goes on. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is Chicago's Cultural Affairs and Special Events Commissioner, Mark Kelly. Mark, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Fran. You came to the city from a top job as Vice President of Student Affairs at Columbia College, where you once ripped your shirt open in excitement at a student rally. Before we get started, tell me about how that happened and how you managed to get so caught up in the moment that you uh, really showed your school spirit. Well, uh, as, as the vice president of, of students at uh, Columbia College, uh, I took great pride in being very connected to students. In fact, I think it's fair to say that the far majority of the students knew who I was, and with a student body then of over ten thousand, that's a, that's that's a I think quite a statement, and that's because I was building uh, a culture for students. So how, how do you take an urban arts campus and how do you make it come to life for students? Everything from the Wabash Arts Corridor with the uh, giant murals that mark the South Loop to manifest the Creative Arts Festival where students showed their body of work. That was simply an event where the new manifest uh, T-shirt designed by a student uh, arrived. I crouched behind the podium, took off my shirt, put on my manifest T-shirt, and then stood back up and proudly said, now... I'm, I'm ready for what's what's coming. So it's it's always about the students and their work and celebrating that work. I love it. I love it. It shows your spirit and the heart that you have beating under that shirt. It must have been a heartbreak for you to preside over this department during this past year when the entertainment and cultural landscape of Chicago has been devastated by this pandemic. Well, uh, you're, you're right, Fran. It has been heartbreak. It's been heartbreak for uh, the city and in particular for the arts and cultural landscape uh, uh, of all the industries. Uh, and and, and let, let me emphasize, this is an industry um, of all the industries impacted by the pandemic. N- none has been harder hit 
than the arts and cultural landscape of this city. All of our stages are dark. Uh, there have been some museums that have been at, you know, working at about a 25% uh, capacity, but largely the entire landscape has been closed down and, and artists unemployed, our, our, our dancers, our performers of all sorts, and, and it's, it's been really tough. Uh, and I just want to remind everyone, this is an industry. We, we had 58 million tourists um, coming to Chicago in 2019, uh, they spent over $16 billion and they were coming to this vital city and the cultural life of this city, the theaters, the public art, the music, the nightlife, the architecture. This is, this is why Chicago beckons and it's, it's all centered in cultural, uh, cultural work. So yeah, it's been really tough. And what is it going to take to rebuild and reopen what I consider to be the beating heart of Chicago, and you do too, the music clubs, the theaters, downtown and in the neighborhoods. They make Chicago such a great place to live, to work, to visit. Well, there, I, I have no doubt that once, uh, as the pandemic uh, restrictions begin to lift, and they will, and I think they will very soon, um, I, I, I'm convinced that, that our audience is not going to be cautious. They are going to come running back to, to this, this, this beating life of, of, the, of the city. And um, so part of it is just the reopening, allowing our stages to reopen. But then they, they need support. And so the Art 77 announcement was part of that support, uh, sort of kickstarting, bringing back the energy, the support and resources to help help this vital part of the city come to life, both economically and then the joy it brings to all of us, the sense of belonging it brings to all of us. And and in Art 77, that announcement is just the beginning. It hardly gets to the the depth of of the challenge for the arts and cultural landscape, but it, it gets us started and then we're going to do everything we can to find additional resources um, so we can help this recovery for the arts industry. So Art 77 is a $60 million commitment for artists and concerts and public art at O'Hare. Uh, tell our listeners who what this is and what will it do and how far it goes. Well, first of all, um, this $60 million represents uh, a new direction for Chicago's cultural policy, um, where, where arts are, are, is are now embedded in initiatives and strategies across city departments. So this is not just the work of DCASE, this is the work of the city, and so the Chicago Park District, Chicago Public Libraries, the Chicago Planning Department, the Department of Transportation, are our partners, our allies, working together, and then bringing together new resources that we've never seen. So this announcement is unprecedented in its scope, $60 million, and just a quick breakdown of how, where what that is going to, what the scope of that is. First of all, we will have uh, uh, public art will now be brought to the neighborhoods of Chicago. So $15 million in public art investment. Um, it's going to be over the next five years, so $3 million a year. And to give give the your audience a sense of perspective, our our budget for public art has been about $100,000, and that was just for conservation. 
And then in addition, we have some percent for art ordinance work where public art for a new library and such. But this is $3 million a year. The focus is on neighborhoods and uh, it'll be hiring artists uh, uh, and, and all the other work that goes with it and bringing joy to our neighborhoods. We have another $3.5 million uh, working with the aviation and, and the remake of the international terminal will be uh, selecting the work of about 30 artists, uh, the biggest acquisition of, of Chicago artists work in decades. So that rather soulless structure uh, in the past will pop with great public art as you go through that uh, terminal. Um, we have a lot of uh, programs, grant programs that are in play immediately so that, that we can start employing artists and start uh, bringing life back to the city. So we have the Chicago Presents program, which is over a million dollars dedicated to free cultural performances across the city starting in July and going through the fall. So this will be theater, music, and dance. It'll be in our parks, our plazas, and, and it's a, a rather simple process to apply. We'll have the Neighborhood Access Program, a million dollars invested on the south and west side to bring more cultural vitality. Uh, we have our band roster. So this is the year of Chicago music and we just published uh, a curated list of 200 bands across the spectrum of music. And then you can, we will pay for them. Um, and if any producers want to bring them in to any, um, presentations and then we have culture in, in, in my neighborhood, which is a $40 million investment animating the Chicago Park District cultural centers and linking them up with, with the Chicago Cultural Center downtown and the regional libraries of Chicago Public Library. This array of, of great cultural resources, many of them, most of them on the south and west side, but they've languished. We have 11 auditoriums that are going to be returned to their splendor when, when they were built decades and decades ago and modernized so that they can be living spaces for cultural presentations. So these are just, you know, there's more to say, but that just gives the audience a sense of uh, what's going to be happening under the Arts 77 umbrella. But your budget was cut in half during the pandemic. You had your people working on all kinds of pandemic response things. Don't the aldermen need to provide corporate fund support going forward for your department, which is really so important to the city. Well, I'm, I'm not going to argue against any additional support. And, and I, I, I think uh, the, the DK's budget, you're correct, it was cut by 50%. And, and at the same time, DK's played a, a crucial role in helping the city deal with the pandemic because we have such a talented staff with so many skill sets that are of value to the city. But we're now all back at it as we, we work on arts recovery. And, and it helped us be more nimble and thoughtful. How, how do you support arts recovery when your budget's cut 50%? You partly do that by looking to these partnerships. So this is the first time where public art is in the infrastructure budget, the capital budget of the city. It never happened before. 
our partnership and, and helping support and push through this capital investment for the cultural centers in, in the um, Chicago Park District. And I, I can tell you, there's there's going to be more resources coming our way with the American Rescue Plan. You know, we'll have to see what that number is, but I'm confident it's going to be significant support. And so D-Case is coming out of this, even though, you know, it, 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 it was a tough beginning of the year. I, I've never seen a more energized, focused staff delivering delivering the goods, if you will, to our citizens. So what about the prospects for Taste of Chicago and the Air and Water Show? There wasn't money in the budget for it. Will you have enough to put those events on and can we do it? So we will be making an announcement on that in the next week or so, but you're correct. Um, there wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't in our budget because, because of the cuts. Um, but I, I can only say this, that there will be some very cool summer programs um, going forward. Won't, we'll those two, next week. won't those two happen and don't we need them to happen to really celebrate the reopening that we have waited so long for? Well, I, you know, uh, whether it's going to be those events or the, they're equal, but you're right. We absolutely need to get the public realm animated and we need to bring people out in the streets and as much as possible bring them together. So we have still the pandemic challenges, we have some of the budget challenges, but with the announcement next week, we, we will get the city is going to get excited as it starts to come together in, in larger and larger numbers in, in festival like settings. Yeah, don't we need to let loose, you know, foot loose? Dance in the streets like they did on VJ Day and VE Day and the end of the wars and so on. Don't we really need to celebrate? We do need to celebrate. We need to do it in a smart way. And um, I have no doubt that that uh, Mayor Lightfoot and, and our public health department are going to be laying out the path to do that. Um, but in, and with that, I, I believe that by late summer, we're going to be in a dramatically different situation and, and we will be coming together in far, far greater numbers and with confidence and with comfort. And, and we're going to we'll have sweat on our brow as we're feeling the energy on a stage or uh, a cultural event just bringing us together. Yeah, with two million doses already administered and health metrics improving, the mayor is announcing today that Chicago is opening a little bit more this time to let restaurants and theaters serve more patrons, allow fans inside the United Center for the first time. These new rules will allow uh, a, a bunch of different things, 25% uh, capacity at Wrigley and Guaranteed Rate and Soldier Field. They'll be in the United Center meetings and conferences, etc. So, and restaurants can be 50% capacity or 100 people. Um, so, what will all this do and what does it mean to an event like Lollapalooza? Everybody wants to know, will that happen? I mean, you've been talking to the organizers, so will that happen? You know, I, I surely don't have that answer for that. And it's a, it's a big question, but every day I think there becomes a, a greater likelihood that something like Lollapalooza 
could um, come forward. You know, we'll have to wait and see. But and this is the the state is looking at these this vaccination pass. You know, so my gosh, that could be a game changer where um, it could be encouraging, uh, especially young people to to get their vaccination and with their card. You know, they could easily enter a festival and congregate in, in great numbers. So, you know, we'll have to see. That's It's surely out of my daily work to make, make that decision. But I will tell you, I am eager for that day, and we're going to do everything we can to help support festival organizers as as the new rules evolve and, and change and maybe change quickly, we'll, we permit all the special events and we will be ready to work with everyone um, in lightning speed to get their permits and to move forward into the uh, uh, more vital public uh, moment. Well, let's talk about the Vax Pass that Chicago is planning to do. The mayor said it could involve preferred seating, preferred admission. How exactly could that work? You need to work with concert promoters and venue owners. Have you talked to them? And if you're doing that, it sounds like Lollapalooza is going to happen. But Lollapalooza is one of these events that you have stages in different places. You have people dancing and elbowing each other in front of the stages. How would it work safely in an event like Lollapalooza where young people really throw caution to the wind? Well, you know, that's a question. It's it's a great question. It's a great question that's a little bit out of my uh, expertise. And so I'll be looking to public health to help guide us. And, 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 and as I understand it, the, the, the vaccination passes would be a state initiative and they would provide the guidance. But, but I, I believe the thinking is that possibly, let's say there's a festival and they require the vaccination pass and there's a mechanism to do that, um, that you could then have a festival, a safe festival, um, for everyone with their VAC pass, and, and it could be um, people packed together, and it would be a safe event. Um, again, I'm, I'm not the expert on that, and it wouldn't be my call, but I'm, I'm excited about the possibility, and, and I think our festival organizers, and yes, if, if, if those operational plans move forward, then we're going to be pulling together our clubs, our venues, our festival uh, presenters to help them understand the path and, and how they move forward. So it would be an event with no restrictions. If you can get these young people who are not being vaccinated at great numbers to be vaccinated, would they be able to stand elbow to elbow in Grand Park the way they always do at Lollapalooza? You know, again, Fran, I, you know, I, I, I want to be very cautious with my answer because I'm not the expert on this, but my understanding is that's a distinct possibility and an exciting one. And how do you incentivize these kids other than just saying you can get into Lollapalooza? Is that enough of an incentive or do you have to give them free admission? Do you have to give them half price admission? Do you have to put them up front? How do you do that and convince these young people who think they're going to live forever and are going to be healthy forever, that they need to get the vaccine. Well, it's my understanding there's going to be a national campaign. There is a state campaign, a city campaign, all to make sure that 
our vaccination rates are at the highest level and and that's going to be encouraging people in all kinds of different ways part of it is is advocacy and and mark clever marketing part of it uh maybe uh hey if i want to go to Lollapalooza, if i want to go to this club if i want to be in this theater i have to show my pass so could this be uh, um, uh, an important um, motivator for um, everyone to get vaccinated so that we all can be safe and comfortable in the public realm? What about July 3rd fireworks in the air and water show? You had no money in your budget for these events. You were hoping for federal stimulus money that would allow you to put these on. Will they happen? Uh, Fran, you'll just have to wait till next week when we're going to make our uh, announcements about what will happen this summer. Uh, I can only say it's going to be exciting. I will point out we we've never managed uh, fireworks. That that is uh, Navy Pier, and and how exciting! I believe the first fireworks show is it's coming up. Is it? this weekend or it's, it's very soon. So, um, all of these are part, these are all these, these necessary steps to bring us back into a full public life. Steppenwolf theater announced today that it's returning to live productions in November and showcasing its $54 million theater, but places like the Royal George have been lost. What is it going to take to convince people to return to some of these tiny neighborhood theaters? You know, uh, Chris, uh, um, Chris Jones just had um, a column about this, uh, I think it was a couple days ago, and I agree with him. I, I think that as soon as tickets go on sale at these theaters, you're, you're going to see uh, a gold rush. Um, every, it, I, I don't think there's going to be, um, it's going to, I don't think it's going to be hard to convince uh, theater patrons to get back into theater seats. Um, they're desperate too, and they're excited. And, and here's something else. I, I'll bet that this time of uh, this furlough, if you will, for the theater community, the the work that we're going to see as as we come back um, is going to be extraordinary. That 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 artists weren't just sitting at home waiting; they were thinking, they were um, imagining, and and that that work is going to be on our stages. It's going to be in in the work of our visual artists, and it's going to beckon our audience. So uh, I'll bet it, it, Chris Jones is right that uh, if Steppenwolf puts out its, its schedule and you can buy tickets, they're going to go fast and furious. And Broadway, of course, has been dark for over a year. So have Chicago's downtown theaters. How does a major downtown production work financially when seating capacity is limited. Don't they need a certain number of sellouts a week just to break even with all the costs of production? Well, I believe uh, Broadway in Chicago is looking at October um, is when they plan to reopen and they're imagining that they, they, you know, they don't know yet, but they're hopeful that they'll be at full capacity. And and uh, boy, do we need our Broadway in Chicago and Harris Theater and Auditorium Theater and and the Goodman and and all of the the power of of downtown Chicago, Lyric Opera, the CSO, um, all have been dark and, and and you know, having been down here at the Cultural Center every day, you could just feel the lack of energy in, in, in this downtown area. It's not just that we don't 
you know, that a lot of the office towers are are empty. It's it's the cultural life, especially in the evening, that has made downtown such a lively, great uh, area. And so I, I think by October, we're going to see all of these theaters, even maybe even earlier, um, up and running. And we're going to see the restaurants um, will then start to come to life and will not be more than just open. They'll be full and people on the streets. And it's, it's, it's all going to build with uh, greater momentum as the season goes on. And you see no hesitation by the theater going audience. Oh, I'm sure, you know, the, the, will there be some hesitation? Sure. But I, I think it's balanced and, and it's pushed forward because uh, people know what they've lost. It's, it's you know, we're, we're the, heart, the heart grows fonder, right, in, in absence. Um, and so I believe the audience, it becomes back stronger and, and more committed that, you know, everyone's done with their Zoom calls. Everyone's done with, you know, culture on a screen. You know, it has its place, but it, none of it is equal to the the living moment where you, where an audience is connected to performance, whether it's music, whether it's theater, whether it's dance. And um, I, I personally can't wait. And I think there's a heck of a lot of people that are thinking just like I am. And you might even rip your shirt off. You might be so excited, huh? Uh, I probably won't do that, friend. You know, uh, you know. Now, now with my wife here, maybe, maybe some of the youthful enthusiasm of of a couple of days, decades ago, is leavened a little bit. I'm joking. But not my enthusiasm mo- for the for the city and its arts. Your most illustrious predecessor, Lois Weisberg, was a brilliant visionary. She gave us the beloved Cows on Parade exhibit and the award-winning arts and education program known as Gallery 37. Can you think of anything equally whimsical like Cows on Parade that might put a smile on the faces of Chicagoans who have been through so much in the last year? Lord knows we could use a good laugh. Well, you know, I think I'll, I'll go back to Chicago Presents. So, you know, th- this summer, we're going to be funding free performances across the city, and there's going to be hundreds of them. And 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 what a, what a great the whimsy of the moment, right? So it's it's not going to be a festival setting. It's not going to be overproduced, but but something that we none of us have seen in so long is you know out out and about in our, our plazas, our streets, there'll be street closures, uh, just the announcement of Sundays on stake. Um, there is just going to be so much energy this summer and we're going to be helping support it. And there'll be street closures. There'll, there'll be um, outdoor dining. There'll be performances and it's going to be peppered and popping up throughout the city. And it's going to be cool. 41 statues are under review. You're part of a committee doing that uh, because of, uh, you know, in, in the in the racial reckoning that followed the death of George Floyd. Alderman Brendan Riley has put forth an ordinance saying the city council should have the final say, not this committee that does its work in secret about which statues stay or go. What do you think of that? Well, first of all, it, this is hardly a committee that is working in secret. Um, we we began with some internal meetings to get our act together. We, we've been very public. Our, our meetings are, are 
are now public, and I will point out that as far as we can tell, there is no city in the country that has had a richer, broader public engagement process. In fact, I'll be tonight, we'll we'll be having a a presentation about uh, the future of of public art with several uh, noted artists. Uh, Yesterday, there was a program by the uh, Chicago History Museum um, considering Lincoln and and the future of Lincoln and and our imagination and and, um, how he should be uh, presented and how we should think of him. And this is, this we've been having, having, Meetings with stakeholders. We've been having um, drop-in sessions. We've, I think, it's 24 community partner presentations, uh, educational presentations. Um, so there, there's nothing uh, secret about this, and and we will be making recommendations. It's an advisory committee. We'll be making recommendations about how to manage public art going forward. It's at the heart of the committee's recommendations will not be about subtraction. It's going to be about addition. How do we bring more public art and how does that public art be more honest and truthful to our collective history? And how does it also uh, get us excited and just bring the joy of public art going forward? So those recommendations will, will will include the the structure for public art, and I believe there are going to be smart, you know, best of practices from what we've learned from across the country. And so I I think when Alderman Riley sees those recommendations, um, I I think he might have a different view of of how we should manage public art going forward. So how many of those forty one statues do you think will be removed? Or will you recommend removal? You know, I can't answer that because that's still under review by the committee. But I'll I'll go back to my um, what I said before. This committee is very much uh, focused more on addition and not on subtraction. Um, uh, We also believe that that some of these works need to be reduced. A recontextualization of them, which is not necessarily removing it, but maybe there's a new work that that is in conversation with the work. In, in some cases, it may be um, uh, information, historical information that brings a broader view than than what is listed. But but none of those decisions have been made, and so I can only say that um, the committee is is their broadest view is about addition and not subtraction. Yeah, wouldn't it be better to have an explanatory plaque and saying, well, this person wasn't perfect. They also were a slave owner or whatever, but not to obliterate them, but rather to explain that this is an imperfect person who did this, too. Well, that's a compelling view. We'll we'll have to see where, you know, finally what the recommendations are. You know, there, there are those, some issues out there, out the uh, Marquette um statue on the south side uh, the, you know the, in that case there is there's clearly uh, an indigenous person who is posed as a supplicant who is who is in a, um, a, a demeaning position and and so it does something like that stand those, those are issues for for the committee to wrestle with but but overall I would agree with your comment the the what we need what we need out of this is is education and understanding and and just removing doesn't necessarily bring you education and understanding um, the George Washington 
statue uh, it, on, on the south side uh, in heroic pose, I think it's fair to say that when that that was created, I believe that's from the 30s, um, if I remember correctly, but that heroic pose was without any concern that there was any other complex information. He was our, you know, the father of our country, period. We, we now understand he was also um, a slave owner with over 300 slaves, and he signed the Slave Fugitive Act. And, and, and so our understanding of him um, changes. And, and so how, how do we bring that forth? That, that's that's the conundrum we face um, and, and we, we will wrestle with. Yeah, and if you erase history, you might be doomed to repeat it. Um, before we let you go, the renaming of Lakeshore Drive for DuSable. The mayor has floated her own alternative plan. She has concerns about renaming the Outer Drive. How do you feel about it? You know, I, I don't have a position on, on uh, the outer drive. I'm not close enough to to that um, argument. But we at D-Case have been developing and, and, and will be putting forward uh, a plan. It's still in its embryonic form. But do we agree with this, that that the city has failed to recognize uh, DuSable and Kitihawa and, and our 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 understanding of, of Chicago and its, its early uh, creation? Absolutely. And should that be at the center of the city? Absolutely. And we have some very cool, ambitious uh, plans that take the river walk. Think of it as maybe it's the Dusable River Walk and, and then monumental, great public art uh, centering on where his um, his trading post was, um, and he was there. He was in Chicago. What became Chicago because of the the intersection of the Chicago River with Lake Michigan, and and to center this, but not, you know, it, it goes back to the bigger idea about monuments. Any monument can lose its meaning, and a monument alone or, or changing the name is not enough. It needs to be centered in the life of the city and, and, and our education, our youth. So we're, we're proposing something that includes a uh, yearly celebration of DuSabo and, and educational material and, and, and a walking route where you become educated and connected to our, our history. Mark Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. I do look forward to waving across the audience to you at the theater again in Chicago and at a concert. There'll be sweat on our brow and and a smile smile on our face as we're feeling the bass line from uh, great Chicago musicians. It's the year of Chicago music. And we're we're just feeling the mojo of the city coming to life. And I dare say both of us will be dancing. And we will see you all next week. Thank you, Fran. 